Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Let's Sleep On It, Reclaiming Parenthood, the podcast. And I'm your host, Taylor Kulik, a sleep and well-being specialist and occupational therapist. My mission with this podcast is to examine the parenting narratives that dominate our culture and grow together as parents. Here, we will talk about biological infant sleep, as well as many other parenting-related topics. And you'll also hear real empowering journeys from parents who are parenting against the grain. I hope that you walk away from each episode feeling inspired, empowered, and supported. Please remember that none of the information shared in this podcast is medical advice, and you should always speak with a trusted healthcare provider if you have any concerns. Let's dive into today's episode. I want to share with you guys one of my all-time favorite companies. I'm passionate about this company. I've been using them for over three years, and they make some of the cleanest and most affordable personal care products for the entire family, personal care and wellness products. So they have herbal remedies and tinctures. They have personal care products. My husband and myself use their deodorant on a daily basis. And most recently, they've launched a home care cleaning line, which we now have transitioned pretty much all of our cleaning products over to their their cleaning products. So we use their cleaning spray and their dishwasher detergent and their laundry detergent and their dishwashing soap. And we have been so impressed with not only the quality and simplicity of their products, but also the affordability and small company, family-owned company experience that we get when we shop with them. So the company is Earthly and they are just phenomenal. You can go shop at earthly.com and earthly is spelled E-A-R-T-H-L-E-Y.com slash R-E-F slash T Kulik. Alternatively, you can thank me for your checkout. Um, Thank you. Thank me for your order in the checkout section. And you can use the code Taylor10 to save 10% off your first order. Hi, everyone. Today, I want to talk about one of my very favorite topics to talk about, and that is bed sharing. Um, so, in season one, I did an episode on why it is harmful to vilify bed sharing. And um, at that time, I had done a really, really informal um, poll or kind of a survey of just people in my community that were watching my Facebook stories. Um, and But what it found, I had a lot of people respond. I can't remember the exact number, but it was probably five or 6,000 people that were responding to this poll. Um, and what it found was that the majority of parents who are bed sharing did not feel like it was a choice for them. So it was something that they, for whatever reason, felt like it was a necessity. Um, And so, you know, I think that's a really important thing to consider. Um, In addition to that, most parents were not telling their doctors or their pediatricians um, about bed sharing. They were withholding that information because they didn't want to be shamed or reprimanded Um, for that decision. And so all of this is really interesting and I think it's really relevant to the conversation. But today I want to talk about something a little bit different. Um, I want to talk about some of the benefits of bed sharing because bed sharing has lots of benefits. Um, And from a biological perspective, babies are designed to bed share. They are designed to be near us. And so what we often hear in the bed sharing conversation is Bed sharing is just not safe. It shouldn't be done. It's risky. Crib sleeping is the safest way to for babies to sleep. 
But what that conversation is leading out is so much important, relevant context, like the benefits of bed sharing and what happens when baby isn't next to mom. Um, What are the potential risks of that? And also, just from a biological perspective, that babies are actually designed to be near mom, um, including when they're sleeping. And so leaving all of this out of the conversation really does not give us a well-rounded, full-view picture of what is going on and of bed sharing. And so it's so important um, to talk about this stuff. Okay, and so in addition to that, I want to talk about the benefits of bed sharing, but I also just want to touch very quickly before we get started on some safe, some general safe bed sharing guidelines, because I get asked a lot, where can I find safe bed sharing guidelines, which is so problematic to me and just so indicative of this culture that does not support families at all because parents don't even know where to look for to get information about safe bed sharing. They're not given the information by their healthcare practitioners, but then they also don't even know where to turn to find it. They don't even know it exists. So I, I'm going to talk about it just briefly. This information is pretty easy to search online. Um, and also, if you go to my Instagram account at Taylor Kulik, I have a highlight titled bed sharing that has um, some more detailed information about safe bed sharing guidelines. Um, And then also for really detailed information, you can go to Dr. or Professor James McKenna's website, which is cosleeping.nd.edu. And then he has a safe bed sharing page there where he talks all about the guidelines and things to consider. So just briefly though, I do want to read you off the safe sleep seven, which are safe bed sharing guidelines. Um, from the book Sweet Sleep, which was written by, it's a La Leche League book. So um, the Safe Sleep 7, these are just like basics, basic bed sharing guidelines. Um, Safe Sleep 7, let me find them, are basically that if you are, so parent is a non-smoker, sober and unimpaired, so no drugs, no um, no even like, you know, medication that, even prescription medication that could cause you to be impaired in a way such as a very, very drowsy or something of that nature. Um, and if you are a breastfeeding mother and your baby is healthy and full term, on his or her back, lightly dressed, and you're both on a safe surface, then it is most likely very safe for you to bed share. So those are the seven things. Non-smoking parents, sober and unimpaired parents, you're breastfeeding, preferably you have a breastfeeding relationship. Now this is a very nuanced conversation. There's a lot more to unpack here. Just know that these are the very general guidelines. It does not necessarily mean that if you aren't a breastfeeding mother that you absolutely can't bed share. That's not what I'm saying here. I just want to provide you the basic information. And then I've also provided you with a couple of other resources and I will provide you with more resources throughout where you can go and look and find those nuanced pieces that if maybe you don't fit into one of these safe sleep um, guidelines, what can you do? And the most important thing to know is that, you know, this is the safest way to bed share, but that doesn't mean that it's not safe to bed share um, without one of these descriptions or one of these categories, but it does maybe increase risk a bit. So you kind of, it's, you know, in life we're, and as parents, we're always doing this constant risk benefit analysis because nothing in life comes without risk, including putting your baby to sleep in a crib. Um, and so to pretend that crib sleeping is on this pedestal as totally risk-free 
and totally 100% safe and reasonable for all families, while bed sharing is just this inherently risky situation, is ridiculous. Everything in life carries risk. You always have to be doing your risk, your own risk-benefit analysis. So let me continue with the Safe Sleep 7. Um, so a breastfeeding relationship. Your baby is healthy and full term. They are placed on their back. They are lightly dressed, no swaddles, and you are both on a safe surface. And what a safe surface means, it means that there are no blankets or pillows or stuffed animals near baby's head where they can suffocate. Um, it means that preferably the bed is low to the floor, um, especially for mobile babies so that they don't fall off the bed. It means there are no strangulation hazards. There are no loose cords dangling. Um, mothers with long hair may want to pull back their hair into a, like a ponytail or something so that baby can't get strangled on the hair. Um, so this is what this, oh, and on a safe surface also means a firmer mattress. So it should not be a super soft mattress. So those are just the basics. It's, this, it's called the Safe Sleep 7. You can also look up that online if you just search Safe Sleep 7. Um, those are the basics. Again, you can find more information on my Instagram highlight titled Bed Sharing. You can also go to cosleeping.nd.edu to find lots more information about this topic. But for now, I want to kind of move into some benefits of bed sharing because these benefits aren't often talked about. And again, it's such an important part of the conversation to have to have a balanced and fair conversation. We have to talk about the benefits of bed sharing. Um, I also want to recommend, as I'm going through this, I, I might be reading a few excerpts from Dr. Professor James McKenna's book, Safe Infant Sleep. It's his newer book, um, but I highly recommend it for all parents to read because it is just chock full of research and information um, to help really empower you in your decision, especially if you do choose to bed share. Um, it's just a really empowering book. And if you do have any fears about bed sharing, but you feel like you have to bed share and it's your only choice, I would definitely recommend this book because it might also kind of alleviate some of those concerns because you can see the research and what the research actually shows about these things. So first of all, let's just talk about how um, biologically speaking, babies are wired to sleep next to us. They are wired to be with us at all times, especially in terms of, you know, an infant, a younger infant. They can only attach to us through their senses. So babies truly have adapted to need to see us, hear us, smell us, taste us, etc., in order to feel safe and secure. And so while yes, there will be babies who will sleep just fine in their cribs, without any trouble, those babies are not the majority. Um, the majority of babies are going to protest. You know, that's like a that's like a sleep training buzzword. They're going to protest being in their crib. They're going to resist being in their crib because they do they are not adapted to be separate from you, from parent, from mother. That is normal. There's nothing wrong with your baby. However, in our culture, we have pathologized that normal infant behavior as something that is bad or something that needs to be fixed or corrected. It is an issue, um, which is wild. It's absolutely wild. Okay. So babies are designed to be near us. One of the things that I think is a big misconception and a concern, which is a valid concern that a lot of parents have based on 
kind of this narrative of bed sharing being very unsafe, you'll suffocate your baby, et cetera, et cetera. One of the misconceptions that a lot of people have is that they can just easily be in such a deep stage of sleep and roll onto their baby and suffocate them. And in reality, this is not really reflective of what happens. Um, and so I do want to read an excerpt from Dr. Professor, I always say doctor, he is a doctor, but um, his title, I believe, is Professor, Professor James McKenna's book, Safe Infant Sleep, where he talks about this. And so he says in his book, infants have also developed the ability to react and alert their caregivers in dangerous situations. Contrary to what you might infer from anti-bed sharing messages, babies do not lie still and keep quiet when something is wrong or hurting them. An experiment in the 70s recorded how healthy newborns reacted to having their airways obstructed. While the procedure is ethically problematic, it did clearly indicate that even day-old newborns are not just protoplasmic blobs lying there waiting to be suffocated by someone. According to the researchers, most infants respond by opening their mouths and by pushing out with the tongue or yawning. When this proves ineffective, more vigorous movements begin, including head rocking from side to side, head retractions, back arching in avoidance, and lastly, head batting of or at the stimulus. Frequent mouth and head responses will occur simultaneously. The research is concluded that it was quite easy for infants to rid themselves of dangerous blockages because of the vigor of defensive responses newborn infants make. And then he also goes on to quote legendary SIDS researcher, Dr. Marie Valdez de Pina, who studied tens of thousands of infants who died from SIDS. And she stated that a normal sleeping adult will be aroused by the struggles of an overlain infant before suffocation occurs, unless of course, the adult is inebriated or under the influence of drugs. She suggests that mothers are designed to respond to such dramatic infantile reactions or even less dramatic signals. Something else that is really, really fascinating when you really look into the data and the research on this is that um, mothers and infants are able to respond to each other's movements and to their actions. And so this idea that a mother will just get into such a deep state of sleep that they won't realize they're they've rolled onto their infant or that their infant has you know moved away from them, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, this is not reflective of what for the most part we know is true of what happens physiologically, what goes on in that mother-baby dyad during bed sharing. And what we know happens is that mothers are generally able to wake up quite quickly in response to something that baby is doing or not doing. We tend to be very responsive at night and um, are very in tune with their actions. We're very, and, and that's the same is true with the baby. So both babies and mothers are highly sensitive to the actions, the arousals um, of the other person. And so um, Professor James McKenna says, from research he's quoting, of the total arousal pattern of both mothers and infants, we found in one study that approximately 40% of an infant's brief awakenings occurred plus or minus two seconds following their mother's arousal. Out of the total number of maternal arousals, over 60% of them occurred plus or minus two seconds following their infant's arousal altogether reflecting a high degree of responsiveness during sleep, even when mothers were in the deepest stage of sleep. Isn't that so fascinating? 
this narrative that we've been led to believe that mothers will just sleep too deeply and they won't respond to their infants and they'll roll over onto them, et cetera, et cetera, is just not rooted in biology and physiology and what we know to be true and how we have been made and designed to be near our infants and to support our infants and vice versa for our infants to be near us. Related to this is that babies who bed share are shown to have more arousals at night, to waken more frequently. Um, and while this sounds like a negative, um, it's not necessarily, depending on how you look at it. And the reason for this is because babies are meant to be in lighter stages of sleep for longer periods of time. And this is protective for them. Um, and it can be helpful for, when, you know, example, when they experience um, a pause in their breathing or other dangers, they are more likely to awaken. Um, and so we want them to be in these lighter stages of sleep. In addition to the protective mechanism of these lighter stages of sleep, that is also when brain development is happening. And so lighter stages of sleep is thought to be the most appropriate stage of sleep for babies. And so bed sharing with our infants helps them to remain in these lighter stages of sleep and have more frequent um, short arousals and awakenings during the night, which is helpful for them. Another very clear benefit an important benefit of bed sharing um, is that babies who sleep next to their mother, specifically in the breastfed relationship, breastfeeding relationship, um, these babies are, their breathing patterns are affected by mom. And so there have been multiple studies. There's been lots of work to show that infants are very sensitive to chest movements um, and the sounds of breathing from, compan from companions. Um, there's also some evidence to demonstrate that it might even be that, you know, mothers kind of doing these little puffs of carbon dioxide out can stimulate a breath from an infant, can, can stimulate that infant to breathe. And so there are fewer um, pauses in breathing with infants who are sleeping in bed next to their mother, next to a breathing companion. So mother actually helps baby to stimulate their breathing and to, to help them to breathe in a stable pattern, which is protective to them. So through all of these benefits that we've talked about, more arousals and short awakenings at night, later stages of sleep, um, helping an infant to regulate their breathing and breastfeeding, um, which we'll talk about in a second. I missed, I skipped over that benefit, but, and facilitating the breastfeeding relationship. All of those things are actually protective against SIDS. So this idea that bed sharing causes SIDS, it's so important to understand that sudden infant death syndrome is something that we don't really have a good understanding of. There are lots of theories about what might cause that, um, but it is different than suffocation. So when somebody is telling you that bed sharing or uh, yeah, bed sharing causes SIDS, they don't know what they're talking about because they're talking about suffocation. They're talking about suffocation deaths, um, which are very few and far between and happen in unsafe bed sharing circumstances, often because parents don't have access to safe bed sharing information. But bed sharing does not cause SIDS. Bed sharing actually can create an environment 
for baby that is protective against SIDS. So there is so much more to this conversation that we're just really not getting just in kind of the public sphere of discourse about this topic because it's very taboo to talk about. It's very taboo to say, hey, here are the benefits of bed sharing. Um, It's very, you know, frowned upon in general for me to be talking about this at all right now. Um, So the last benefit that I want to just quickly talk about is facilitating the breastfeeding relationship. And I think this might be one of the biggest ones, you know, um, we know from research that breastfeeding is protective against SIDS. We know there are so many benefits of breastfeeding. Um, we also know that right now in our society, specifically in the West, in America and Canada, um, we know that many mothers are not meeting their breastfeeding goals. And I think there is, there's a ton of factors that go into this. It's not just bed sharing versus crib sleeping, Um, sleep training culture, scheduled feedings, just mothers in general not being given enough breastfeeding support, et cetera. There's so much that goes into this. Um, But we also know that bed sharing can help to facilitate breastfeeding because when baby is in contact with mom, when they are touching, usually often moms are sleeping with their breasts exposed just because they are kind of nursing on and off throughout the night. Um, They're stimulating milk production. Baby might smell mom's breast milk and wake up for a feed. So it's this beautiful, just like cascade of, of events and sequences of events that contribute to optimal milk supply for mom. So this is so important in those early days, contributes to optimal milk supply for mom. It helps keep mom, a breastfeeding mother, sane and rested because she no longer has to get up over and over and over again to go feed her infant. Um, And it just generally, it's just supportive to the breastfeeding relationship if a, a mom and a baby are bed sharing. Alternatively, If we think about a mom who has their baby in the crib, which I'm not saying is wrong. I'm not saying don't do it. I just think we need to talk about this. Um, When we have a baby in a crib or a mom is trying to get baby to sleep in a crib, but that baby is waking every two, three, four hours to feed, um, especially in those early days. I mean, in those early days, baby is often waking hourly or every other hour to feed. So imagine, you know, and I don't even have to imagine because I've been there. Imagine being the mom that is sleeping either in another room or at least in another space, and you're having to get up every hour to go feed your baby on the rocking chair like you're supposed to. Don't lay down with them because that's dangerous. Try to stay awake as you're feeding them on the rocking chair for 10, 15, 20 minutes, and then and then transfer them very carefully to the crib. Hope Hopefully they stay asleep and then go back and try to fall asleep, um, even though you've basically just woken yourself up because you've taken yourself out of this like restful, sleep-induced state to be alert for your baby. And now you have to go try to sleep on demand, knowing that in an hour or two or three hours, you're going to be up again to feed your baby. It's exhausting for mom. And the other thing is that often these are the moms who are so stressed and so sleep deprived, understandably so, that they're trying to figure out how to get their baby to go longer between feeds. And especially for younger babies, what what a lot of parents don't understand is that this can negatively impact the breastfeeding relationship. Um, Babies are meant to be nursing at night. 
they're meant to be stimulating, you know, stimulating the nipple and stimulating milk production every few hours. And when a mom is trying to get her baby to go longer between feeds at night, especially in those early days, those early months, that can in negatively impact her milk supply. And then she begins to wonder, well, why am I not producing enough milk for my baby now? Um, and then she just ends up, you know, there's a lot of different ways this can go, but then a lot of moms end up thinking they're just, they're not cut out for breastfeeding or they're just not producing enough and they can't produce enough. And then they begin to supplement. And then it's kind of this vicious cycle because now they're supplementing. So they're not um, telling, you know, baby isn't telling their bodies that they need this amount of milk. And so then their, their milk supply continues to decrease over time. Um, and so that is the situation that happens all the time. I work with families all the time that experience this. And all of that to say, bed sharing, a, you know, a breastfeeding dyad, bed sharing together is the biological norm. It just is. I'm not saying that to say that you're wrong if you don't bed share. I'm not saying that to say that everybody should be bed sharing, but we have to start with the baseline. And right now in society, we kind of start with this baseline of a formula fed infant who sleeps in their crib. And anything other than that is not the baseline. It's not the, the quote unquote normal um, but that's not reality. That's not the baseline. The baseline, when we're speaking from in terms of biology, the baseline is and has always been a breastfeeding infant who is sleeping next to his mom. That is the baseline. And so we have to be able to consider that, that when that's not happening, what are the implications of that? What are the negatives? What are the challenges that come up? Whether, you know, it's what we just talked about with mom being too tired to continue to feed baby every few hours or the nipples aren't being stimulated as often and so breast milk um, supply decreases, etc. Okay, so there are a lot more benefits um, of bed sharing that I haven't really touched on. But those are the basics. Those are probably the biggest ones. Um, and I think they're important. And I just think we need to add, start adding these to the conversation when we're talking about bed sharing. It's not just that bed sharing is evil and bad and harmful, but like we have to do it. And so like, don't be mad at us kind of thing. It's like, no, actually let's stand up for ourselves because actually bed sharing and breastfeeding is the biological norm. Um, and there's so many benefits and Perhaps a family just weighs those risks and benefits and decides that there are clear benefits for them or the benefits clearly for them outweigh the negatives of bed sharing. And that's what they want to do. And those are valid decisions too. You know, um, I always say, I always kind of highlight this idea, especially when I'm talking to people who are really against bed sharing. I always try to highlight this idea that most families who bed share don't choose to bed share. It's just something that happens to them. It's something that they feel for whatever reason is a necessity and that's valid. But I feel like it also sometimes kind of invalidates those families that have made an informed decision to bed share from day one and not use a crib. And those experiences are valid too. That decision is valid too. So while I do focus on the, you know, most families don't have a choice kind of thing, because I think that is the argument that if any argument is going to get people kind of bring them to our side and help them understand the importance of sharing information about safe bed sharing, it's going to be that one. They're not, they're not going to be ready for the fact that bed sharing is a valid choice regardless. 
and that some families will make that informed decision to do it, even if they don't have to. Um, but I think it's so important to know that either decision is valid, either way that you stumble into bed sharing, whether it truly is stumbling um, or whether it's really prepared and um, an intentional and informed decision, either of those choices are valid. Um, but so now I want to just end with some clips from you guys who called in, not called in. Um, I have the option to like have y'all record little messages for me to put in the podcast. And so a while back, I asked you guys if you if you had to bed share for whatever reason, if you if you had an experience with bed sharing, um, and maybe you felt like you didn't have an option, you didn't have a choice, and it was like really the only thing that would work for you. I asked you to share your experience with me. And so I'm going to share a couple of those messages now. Um, they're all very short, under a minute long, just because I think, you know, it's, yeah, I can say this stuff all day long. I can sit here and say all day long that I know this is happening. And then I know that there are families that, that have to bed share and that it's life-saving for them. Um, but I think what's more powerful than actually hearing it from the families themselves, from the parents themselves who have had to make these tough decisions most of the time with very little or no support to do so. Um, and so I do want to share just a couple of those um, messages from you guys. And so thank you all. If you did send them in, thank you so much for taking the time to do that. I got a ton of them and unfortunately I can't share them all, um, but I'm just so super grateful that you did take the time to send them in and share your experience because I really do think that the more we can talk about this and be open with it, um, be open about it, the more other people will be open about it too, because there's so many of us, there's so many like closet bed chairs that are terrified to say anything, that are ashamed to say anything. Um, and so the more that we can talk about it, the more that we can kind of invite other people to share their experiences as well. And the more people will start to realize, hey, this isn't, these people aren't in the minority. These people are everywhere. Um, bed sharing families are everywhere. And maybe we need to take a step back and listen to them. Um, and hey, maybe we actually need to kind of change policy and, and recommendations and things like this to better support these families. That is my ultimate wish and my goal. I don't know if it will happen in my lifetime. Um, I have my doubts, but I'm going to keep talking about it and fighting the good fight in the meantime. So anyways, thank you guys so much for listening today. I am going to leave you with a few messages from these beautiful bed sharing families. Hi, Taylor. I wanted to share our sleep journey with you as it's been an interesting one. From day one, we've been co-sleeping with our son in the bassinet next to the bed. He was a really independent, great sleeper from the beginning, uh, was sleeping through the night by one month. And then as soon as he started teething at four months, everything changed. He was no longer sleeping. He was waking super, super frequently. Um... And not necessarily hungry, but just looking to be comforted. We tried crying it out, and that was just really torture for everyone in the house. So we eventually led to bed sharing, um, and it's been great. It works for us now. We all get to sleep through the night and are well-rested, and we couldn't ask for anything more. For me, bed sharing was the best thing I could have ever done for my relationship with my husband and my son. Um, 
when my first baby was born, my husband was actually deployed with the Navy. And so I was alone and I was, you know, having a really hard time with the deployment, having a really hard time being a new mom with little support. And I felt like I was so exhausted. And the only nights that I got sleep were when I accidentally fell asleep with baby in bed. And when I learned about safe bed sharing, it was such a game changer. I just felt a weight lifted off my shoulders. I felt like I wasn't doing a bad thing and I was, I could take precautions and you know, get the energy I needed to be a good first time mom doing it on her own. And yeah, the best thing I've ever done. (laughs) First of all, we had a really unrealistic view of what infant sleep should look like. So I researched all the bassinets, chose one. And then when he didn't lay in it, it was shocking that we couldn't set him down to sleep. We would make it maybe 15 minutes and then it would take another 15 minutes to get him down And then we were doing the process all night. So after about a week of that, we just were like, what if we put him in our bed? And we all slept great. So the next day, I researched all that I could. Seven. And um, that was that. We've been bed sharing for nine months. And no end in sight because now I'm just too lazy to get up and go to a crib when he needs to nurse. Shoot, I just lift up my shirt and there we go. Bed sharing for our family was not planned, but we kind of fell into it naturally. It just felt like the right thing to do. And once we started bed sharing, I feel like it allowed me to gain my life back. Finally, my daughter was sleeping through the night just naturally. And I think it was because she just felt comfortable and she trusted that I was always going to be there. And When we were trying to get her to sleep in her crib or even right next to me in the bassinet, it just always felt so inconsistent and she never knew what to expect. But just bed sharing 100% of the time, I feel like it allowed her to trust um, and feel comfortable sleeping through the night. Bed sharing was quite possibly life-saving for us because I had such severe postpartum depression and anxiety that I was nearing psychosis and having suicidal ideation from sleep deprivation. And it's not that I didn't have support. I was getting three to four hour stretches. My husband was taking shifts. We had family coming to help, but it just still wasn't enough on top of some other chronic health issues I have, um, including narcolepsy, which also just exacerbated the sleep deprivation. If we hadn't started bed sharing safely, I could have easily fallen asleep while taking care of my infant um, during the day or done something to hurt, to harm myself because of where my mental state was. So I'm thankful that I was educated about safe bed sharing because I think that it made the infant stage manageable and survivable. We absolutely love bed sharing. We plan to co-sleep. Um, even before I was pregnant um, and we've had her next to me from day one and I wouldn't have it any other way. It just felt completely unnatural to, to send her. I mean, even just putting um, a bar up on like a co-sleeper or something or just having her anywhere but sort of right next to me or on top of me is actually where she slept for the first little while. And then just next to us, and it's just so easy for breastfeeding, and 
I just think it's right. I think so many people have to sleep with a partner snuggling up to them, yet we think that children should be banished to another room. And it just doesn't make any sense to me, I think, to form a good attachment and love. You you know, you need to all be together. And, yeah, it's just a beautiful thing to do. Bed sharing was an absolute lifesaver for me personally. My daughter's father was deployed for the first six to seven weeks of her life. So bed sharing was really one of the only ways that I was able to get sleep. Um, My midwives were aware that that's what we were doing. We followed all of the safe sleep guidelines in regards to bed sharing. Um, And we did continue to bed share until my daughter was, I believe, eight months old. And right now I have a happy and healthy two-year-old. As a first-time mom, I went into parenthood with the thought that bed sharing was irresponsible and unsafe because that was all the information that was provided to me. And it wasn't until maybe four months in that I started to research safe bed sharing guidelines and talking to my friends about bed sharing. And I found that you can do it safely. And I started experiencing postpartum anxiety around um, three to four months postpartum. And I started bed sharing at about six months. And I can say that for me personally, it dramatically changed my postpartum anxiety and it really cemented that secure attachment that as a parent, we really desire for ourselves and for our children. And my daughter's 16 months old and we have not looked back. We are bed sharing and we are bed sharing strong. I co-slept with my baby until he was about six months old. Um, It was the only way I could get him to sleep at night in the beginning, right from when he was a newborn. He slept on me in a lazy boy chair. I had pillows beside me so that he wouldn't fall. And I trusted my mama instincts to know that every time he moved, I would wake up. And it worked great for us. We could just easily, when he wakes up, you can nurse him. Lots of times we would fall asleep while nursing. It was the only way that I was able to get sleep. My now eight-month-old baby has been waking up almost hourly or more often um, just about every night since he was three months old. I have researched every sleep specialist's uh, take on hourly wakes. Um, I have spent hours upon hours upon hours researching, um, taking him to get checked. We've released a tongue tie. We've checked all the boxes and... He just will not stop. Um, We can't seem to get any answers. So around five months, I just had to give up on his crib because I was exhausted. I was anxious. I was depressed. And I could not go on that way. So since bed sharing, I am not well rested, but I am more rested. And I would not be able to survive doing this any other kind of way. Once I realized bed sharing can be done safely, it was honestly the best choice for me and my husband and our baby girl. And especially with me nursing, I am so thankful that 
I am able to do this. And I think every parent should be aware of all of the safe bed sharing that is actually possible for everybody instead of feeling like you're stuck and your kid won't sleep or anything else. I think it's honestly the best thing and it's such a beautiful thing at the same time being able to share this space and I just wish them My daughter was born without an airway. It's a really rare birth defect and would stop breathing randomly middle of the night um, even after she had corrective surgeries. She had a narrow airway in her throat also, so she'd have a little bit of reflux and just stop breathing, and I had to be as close to her as possible to get her to start breathing again and intervene. So there was absolutely no way she was sleeping in another room where I could possibly miss a minute or two on a monitor or even in a bassinet next to me. It was just safest to have her right tucked up on me where I could hear every breath she made or didn't make. My family never planned on bed sharing, but it became necessary after I had an emergency C-section. I was not able to get out of bed in the middle of the night to do feedings when he first arrived. So we did it out of necessity and then we fell in love with it. My husband sleeps better, I sleep better, my baby sleeps better, and we love the special close time that we get with him every night. Bed sharing is absolutely the best choice for our family because it saved us so much stress, so much anxiety around sleep, sleep schedules, sleep totals, and it's honestly, I think I get more sleep at night just having baby next to me, even if he nurses what feels like half the night, uh, cause I'm not getting up and down all the time. And with our first baby, we just didn't have the information on safe bed sharing. And so we tried to sleep train and we tried to do anything we could to get her to sleep in her bed all night. But really with our second baby, we just followed his cues and we did what felt right. And I felt so much freedom and just peace in enjoying my baby and enjoying the time together. And he's nine months old and we don't plan on stopping anytime soon. Bed sharing saved my life. If we hadn't decided to start bed sharing, then I probably would have had major anxiety attacks and ended up in the hospital. A few days after she was born, I ended up having a huge anxiety attack. I couldn't eat. I was shaking so bad I couldn't control myself because I was only sleeping maybe two hours since the day she was born. So deciding to put her into our bed was the best decision. We both slept for most of the night, waking up nursing when we needed to, and we were able to calm my anxiety down and it was the best decision for our family. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and leave a review if you feel called to. It really helps our message reach more parents. You can also follow me on Instagram at Taylor Kulik for similar content or visit my website at www.taylorkulik.com. I offer online courses where we really dive into infant and toddler sleep holistically. And we also offer one-to-one holistic sleep support services if you're looking to improve your child's sleep or shift patterns without sleep training. 
If you know a parent who would benefit from this podcast, please share. And if you'd like to financially support this podcast to allow me to create more episodes more often, you can visit anchor.fm slash Taylor Kulik. I hope you'll join me next time.